0: foothills. We're very glad that you've been able to join us today, whether you're in person here or you're joining us online. My name is Zach Peak, and I'm excited to be here to preach God's word to you today. We're in the middle of our series, Get Up and Go. We're doing a nice long summer series, kind of trying to keep everything together while people are out of town, moving in and out and having a good time. The last three weeks, Pastor Harvey spoke to us, and he talked about great things like pursuing intimacy, resolving interpersonal conflicts, being able to make biblical decisions, and following Christ with our decision-making. And now we're going to get up and go, and we're going to keep moving, and we're going to talk about how we can embrace the freedom that Christ has in store for us. The Bible talks a lot about freedom in a lot of different ways. Jesus introduces himself— with freedom, to his own town. When he goes back to Nazareth, where he's originally from, and where he grew up, and he's ready to announce that he is a prophet, and he is there to speak God's Word, he goes to the local synagogue, and he goes to read Scripture. And he asks for the scroll from Isaiah, and in it, it says, he will come to set the captives free. And it's talking about the Messiah who is promised to come. And Jesus says, today this has been fulfilled. He announced himself by saying that he came to set the captives free. Later on in his ministry, in John chapter 8, he's speaking to the people, and he says, the truth will set you free. He's speaking of himself as the truth, as the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, I have come to set you free. I will set you free. We see later when Paul is writing his letters, his epistles to the different churches around the Mediterranean, and the one to Galatia, he says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He's arguing against following old Jewish tradition religiously. He's arguing against righteousness by laws and by following and observing a religious practice, and he's saying Christ has granted us freedom, and it's up to us to take that freedom to not be conformed to a law, to not have to be religious to know God and to know who he is, but to be able to follow him in freedom and in love and in a relationship. We see this element of freedom running through the gospels and the letters that are written to the churches about how to live the Christian life, about how to follow Jesus and how to know him. And that's really good news for us because we live in a country that knows freedom very, very well. You know, our country, we have the Declaration of Independence. We have the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. We have all of these different pieces of our government and founding documents that are made to guarantee us freedom. America's constitution and America's founding documents are the only ones out of all governments to this day that say that the government is created to keep you free from itself. In other countries, they say the government gives you these rights. And in America, what's the famous line? We hold these truths to be self-evident, all men are created equal, and men are endowed by their creator with unalienable rights. We are free from the government, or at least we're supposed to be. This country knows freedom pretty well, right? We've got the 4th of July. We've got all these awesome holidays. And around the world, like right now, in Cuba, there's an uprising against the dictatorship that's been there since way before I was born. What do they do? They run through the streets, the protesters, the crowds. They run through the streets yelling libertad, waving the American flag. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that our country and our flag is a symbol of freedom to people in other countries, to people around the world. The American Revolution preceded all these other revolutions. The French Revolution happened in part because of the American. So when we look at liberty in this world, we can be kind of proud of ourselves, can't we? Our country's done a pretty good job. We live in a place that gets it, that knows it. The problem, though, is the freedom that the Bible speaks about is different than the freedom that we know, the freedom that we experience, and the freedom we're proud of. Now, the freedom that we have is good. The freedom that we have has given us many things. We are very blessed and privileged by it. It's allowed us to build a great country. But it is not the freedom that the Bible talks about. See, when Paul talks about freedom and when Jesus talks about freedom, they're talking about something different. They lived in an oppressive time. They lived under a dictatorship. There was a Roman emperor over all things that they knew, over all the government that they were under. They were both oppressed and persecuted. They both faced tyranny. The local governments beat Paul and imprisoned him many times. Jesus was killed by the government. So they didn't live in some free society like America, but they were still free. How is that? It must be a different kind of freedom than the one that we know, the one that we experience, and the one that we are rightfully proud of. See, the freedom that Paul talks about, the freedom that Jesus talks about, the freedom that the Bible tells us about and preaches to us about is about us. It's about who we are, and it's about being free from the evil and the sin that lives within us. Paul talks a little bit about his freedom in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. He's speaking of his physical needs and physical desires and he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. That's a freedom that he has. How many of us can identify with that? How many of us live that way, as if we're content How many of us feel content with how much we have, whether we lose our job or get a promotion? How many of us feel content with what we have, whether we get a great new bonus and we can spend that on something awesome or whether something brand new comes out when we really want it? See, Paul had this contentedness in his heart. When he had plenty, he was able to enjoy it and be thankful for it. And understand the blessings of it. But when he was in need, that didn't shake his faith in Christ. That didn't pull him away from God. He was still content with what he had and who he was. That's a different freedom than we have, and that's a freedom that is not well known in our country. Pastor Harv was talking about it last week when he said, if there's a salesman that comes to your door, or calls you on the phone, or you're talking to, what's the one thing that they never have an answer for? You just say, oh, you know, I'm pretty content right now. But those salesmen do pretty well. And why is it? Because how many people in our country are content? They have freedom of speech and religion and and assembly through the First Amendment, freedom of the press. We have all these freedoms and rights that we talk about. How many of us feel that freedom that we gain from contentment? How many of us feel free from ourselves and our earthly desires? Or how many of us are trapped in what we want, what our bodies desire and our bodies want to take for themselves? See, I think the freedom that Paul talks about in Philippians, I think that's our goal. I think that's the freedom that the Bible talks about, and I think that's what we all all want. Again, all these other freedoms that we are afforded in America are great, and we're privileged to have them. We are lucky and we are blessed that we live in a country that allows us to gather here on Sunday and not be persecuted for, not be in fear of forces coming in and stopping us. That is an amazing and awesome blessing. But the freedom that Christ gives us, the freedom that we are taught, that's talked about, is much more than that. It's what's inside of us. It's the freedom from ourselves and that contentment that Paul talks about. So how in the world does Paul achieve this? How is it that Paul is able to feel content in every situation? We see it in the verse. He says, I have learned the secret of living. What is this secret? How did Paul achieve this contentment in all situations, whether he was very, very blessed with what he had, whether he had plenty or whether he had little, whether he had nothing? How is it that he was content in all of these situations? And how can we have that same freedom and that same contentment in our heart? There's two ways, and there's two things that I want you to think about. The first is a verse that Jesus speaks while he is giving his sermon on the mount. It's in Matthew chapter 6. It's verse 33. Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of righteousness. So that's part of it. Is seeking God first. But as great as the Sermon on the Mount is, I'm a sucker for stories. And there's a story about contentment, there's a story about what we have and the material possessions that we have and how to be free from them. That we find in Mark chapter 10. And so I want you to keep in mind this verse from Matthew while we go through this story from Mark chapter 10. Keep in mind that Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom and then all these things, these things that he's referring to, he just spoke about. He's talking about food. He's talking about clothing. He's talking about shelter. He's talking about our livelihood. Seek first his kingdom and all those things will be given to us as well. Let's go to the story version though. Because we see a story after Jesus has been doing his ministry for a while, after he's made a name for himself. He has a large following of apostles and disciples by now. You know, we all know the 12, but then he has additional disciples beyond that, people who are following him, people who are following wherever he goes and staying with him. And he even at one point in in the Gospels, he sends out 72 disciples. So there's more than just the 12. He has a gathering at this point. And in this city that he's in, during his ministry, a young man runs up to him with a question. He falls on his knees before Jesus. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus is a pretty good question to ask, or Jesus is a pretty good person to ask this question. <laughs> He has this reputation, and this man, he desires eternal life. So he goes to Jesus, gives him a little compliment, good teacher, how do I achieve this thing that I want? And Jesus, have you ever had, like, maybe you're talking to a teacher or a professor or uh, Pastor Peak, Pastor Doug. If you don't know, he's my dad, and he does this a lot too. You go up, and you have a question for somebody, and you're like, man, I'm going to be in and out quick, It's a quick yes or no question, you know, and then you ask and 30 minutes later, you're like, where's the answer in this? Where where, where did we go from here? My dad is great at that. I'll go up and man, at this point, I even design my questions. I'm like, okay, I know if I ask it this way, he's going to go into a history of the Ottoman Empire. If I ask it this way, he'll go into the current postmodern philosophy. So, I got to toe this line and then even when I try, the best I can. I look at the clock and 45 minutes later, I'm like, I just needed a yes or no. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. I mean, maybe it's with a teacher. Maybe it's with a professor. Maybe it's with your parents. We've all had those conversations where we're like, this is going to be quick. And then it's not. And so I feel like when Jesus answers this guy and says, why do you call me good? He knew this conversation was going a little bit south. He knew it was not going exactly the way he planned. He's like, I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm a good dude. I'm going to tell him he's a good teacher. I'm going to ask him this question. You know, other people have asked him for healing. Other people have asked him for help with things, and he's just right there and does it. It's just going to be in and out quick. I don't even need him to do anything. I just need an answer. And then Jesus looks at him, why do you call me good? And he's like, "Uh uh-oh. Oh, boy. But Jesus continues. He says, you know what the commandments say. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false witness. Do not cheat. Honor your father and mother. This guy's like, man, I just need this answer. What can I do? So he comes up. He's got a bold, bold move. Teacher, he said, I have obeyed all those commandments since I was a boy. But we got to give up a round of applause for our man here because that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Keeping every single one of those since you were a boy. I feel like that was a little bit of a Hail Mary to end that conversation. He's like, I just need this answer. Yeah, 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 I've done all that. I've followed the law. I've followed the commandments. I do everything right. I'm all good. I just need eternal life. I'm here for eternal life from you. That's what I need. That's what I want. So just, you know, let me know how I get that. I'll go do it. I'll take care of it. Jesus answers him back. Jesus looked at him and loved him. You are missing one thing, he said. Go and sell everything you have. Give the money to those who are poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The man's face fell. He went away sad because he was very rich. This man was wealthy. This man, you know, he might have been a really good guy. You know, being able to say to Jesus, I've kept all these commandments since I was a boy. When I read this passage, I get a little worried. I get a little worried about us. Because whether or not we grasp this fact, it's true. We are one of the wealthiest societies in the history of the world. And every single one of us is rich. We may not be rich by American standards. We may not feel like we're rich. But we live in a society of lavish wealth. The Bible says that this young man was a, was a rich young man. And given how the economics worked back in the day, the difference between being rich and being poor, the way we live and what we have is much closer to this man than we were to any of the disciples. A couple years ago, the Washington Post came out with this income calculator where you could put in your income, you could put in the size of your household, and it would show you where you ranked in the world. If you put in the threshold for poverty in America, so somebody, a household that's on the line of poverty, you know, maybe one day they're in, one day they're out, they're towing that line, they're richer than 70% of people around the world. The bottom 10% of people in America, somebody who's in, who's only richer than 10% of people in America, which means 90% of people in America make more than them, they're about globally, globally average. They're globally middle class. This doesn't mean that we don't have financial struggles sometimes. This doesn't mean that worries about debt or inflation or being able to have a car that runs to get to work doesn't mean that these don't matter. It doesn't mean that these don't exist. But we also have to recognize that we live in a country of lavish wealth. When we think of rich, when we think of wealth, we think of the billionaires that we know of. Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg. We think of Bill Gates and Elon Musk. But really, when the rest of the world thinks about who's rich, they tend to look at America. And they're right. We are an incredibly lavish and wealthy society. And so when I read this story about this rich young man, I get a little nervous. I get a little worried. Because we identify with that. That's what we relate to. That's who we relate to in this story. We're definitely not Jesus, And while the disciples were fishermen and businessmen and probably were able to get by, that's not us. That is not us. See, in our country, in our culture, one of the reasons we're so wealthy, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, is because of the desire for achievement, the desire to push forward, the desire to work hard. You know, American ingenuity, American work ethic, when all these other countries in Europe and everything, they take, multi, you know, they take like a six-week-long holiday in the summer, we're like, eh, I don't need that PTO. You know, if you look at the rates of vacation for America compared to the rest of the world, we really don't take much. That, that hard work, that sense of achievement, the desire to achieve more and more and more and to get better and better and better and to get richer and richer and richer, That can lead to good things. It's led to less poverty in our country. It's led to some awesome stuff like Wi-Fi. It's led to actual good things that have helped the whole world. Less people today are dealing with starvation and hunger than 100 years ago, a lot less. A lot of disease has been eliminated, even though that's a little bit ironic with the last 12 months. But don't forget about things before COVID like smallpox and polio and all these other really horrible diseases. I don't want to look at you and tell you that working hard is bad, that achievement is bad, because the fact of the matter is those things are okay. Jesus talked to other wealthy and powerful people and he did not tell them to sell everything they own. So why did he tell this man? What was it about this rich young man that prompted Jesus to say, you need to sell everything you own, give it to the poor and follow me. It was the desire for more. It was the desire and greed that was in his heart. What did he come to Jesus and ask again? How do I inherit eternal life? He did not ask how he followed Jesus. He did not ask how to know Jesus better. He did not ask to know how to know God. He asked how to inherit eternal life. And so I want to warn you. I want to encourage you to be careful. I want to let you know that the idea that persists in some churches in America, the idea that some people have about Christianity in America, that it's like, oh yeah, there's this Jesus guy. I know him. I go to church on Sunday. I get eternal life out of it. And then I go forward and I work hard and make money and take care of myself. That is not an attitude. That the Lord encourages. That is an attitude that leads to enslavement and entrapment. We become prisoners of our sinful desire. Matthew 6, verse 33 Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added to you. Right before that, Jesus is saying, Don't worry about your clothes, don't worry about what you will eat, what you will wear. Your Father in heaven takes care of the birds and the animals. Why would he not take care of you as well? Our country particularly struggles with this, the cycle of desire and greed, controlling everything and taking care of it ourselves. We don't give it up to God. We hold on to it. We don't trust God to provide for us We say, I'm going to provide for myself. I'll know God. I'll talk to him. I'll show up to church on Sunday. So I've got that internal life thing figured out. But I've got this. I'm okay. And I want to warn you that that is not how a relationship with Christ works. That is not what Jesus called us for. That is not what he asked us to do with him. He asked us to be free He asked us to know him and depend on him because he will care for us. This young man came to Jesus asking, what do I need to do to earn eternal life? And Jesus told him, well, you need to make a choice. Last week when Pastor Harv talked about biblical decision-making made a great point when he said that Jesus, Jesus forced people to make decisions. When people came to him, Jesus said, look, you can follow me, but you've got to make that decision. You have to see who I am. And that's what he did with this man. He said, here's the choice that you need to make. Are you going to follow me? Or am I just... An achievement to you? Am I just something to check off the list? You've got your business going and you're all good there. Your wealth is secured. You followed the law. You've taken care of that. And now eternal life is checked. So you're all taken care of. That's not what he called us to. See, the reason why Jesus told the rich young man to sell everything he owned is not because simply being blessed with possessions, or simply being blessed with wealth is evil in and of itself. It's not because wealth in and of itself will take us away from God. It's not because these things will put a barrier between us and take away our salvation. It is because, as you can see in our country, things become what we put our hope in, becomes what we put our faith in. We want to control. We want to have that power. It defines who we are. We want to take care of it ourselves. And then we put no trust in God. So this is not an encouragement to go out and sell everything you own. If you feel convicted to do that, you can talk with God about that. But that's not what I'm here to tell you. I am here to challenge you. seek first his kingdom of righteousness. I don't know your heart. Well, I know some of you out in the audience. I definitely don't know all of you. So I can't answer the question of what you put above God. But we all have things. We all have things we hold on to tightly. Some things that we hold on to tightly most people would look out and say, oh, don't do that. You know, like money or our time, projects that we pour into, things that we're selfish with. Like maybe it's something like that. But what about your family? What if you have a job that's really important? I work for some big corporation and frankly, I don't think my job makes that much of a difference in the world. But that's not the same for everybody. I mean, heck, we're in a church. There's people here whose job is to work in ministry. That's a very important job. But that still shouldn't be above God. No. What I would challenge you to do is go to the one who knows your heart. Go to the one who can answer the question of what you put before him. In preaching, they say we always have to have a challenge, have an application, have a sticking point. And there's nothing I can tell you today about a specific action to take. If you want a specific action, I guess I'm going to go with Jesus and say, sell everything you own. (laughs) But I don't think that's what you want. (laughs) No, the only thing I can challenge you with today is to work with God. Go to him. Talk to him and have him examine your heart. Do it with him. Prayer and petition. Through worship and time with him. Through meditation on his word and his scripture. Ask him what you put above him. And then there's one thing. And Jesus alludes to it here, that always works. Whatever you hold on to too tightly, whatever you put above God, there is a key way to give it up to God. There is a key way to trust him with it. And that is to be generous with it. Whether it be your money, whether it be your time, whether it be your relationships, whether it be your emotional energy, whether it be your energy at work, whatever it may be, be generous with it. With this rich young man, we see an extreme case. a man who is totally entrapped in his desire for achievement and desire to get and earn more. He is rich. He is young. He's thinking, how do I earn eternal life? He's probably pretty successful. He's probably someone that others look at and think, wow, I wish I could be like him. He probably is a really hard worker. He probably takes care of his things and he's really intelligent. And so he just wants to keep checking boxes. He's an extreme case. And so Jesus gives him an extreme action of generosity. I don't know your heart. I don't know where you're at with God only you do and so i would encourage you to go and talk to him about it and ask him what are you putting in front of him what is it that you need to give up what is it that you need to be generous with so that you can come closer and closer to him let's let steve close us out god has been so generous with us if it's time for you to respond to that generosity just text fh next step to 9700 so we can help you find ways to invest in the kingdom of God. For those at home, please take some time to consider what you've heard today by reviewing the discussion questions. If you're on campus, please stand for closing blessing.